Uh, we've been going through the, the book of John, and uh, we've been saying over and over and over again that uh, basically what the book of John is, is John revealing Jesus and calling the reader to believe. And so over and over and over, you have these reveals of who Jesus is, who, who Jesus is, who Jesus is, who Jesus is. And this reveal is definitely the biggest reveal in the book. And the biggest reveal of all time. And what makes reveals really big is what the state of things are before the reveal. I mean, think about this. The, the worse off the house is before Chip and Joanna redo it, the bigger the reveal, right? The, the sicker and, and the, the, the more that the person is struggling on Big Fat Loser, the bigger the reveal when they're healthy and strong. The, the, the more wrinkly the skin, right, the bigger the reveal after the skincare product has been used for 30 days, right? It makes the reveal that much bigger, and the before and after of this story, well, it makes this a really big reveal. And so in this text, in John 20, we see some of the before, and we see the after, uh, we're actually going to we're going to celebrate Easter four Sundays this year. How's that sound? We're going to we're going to go through these re resurrection accounts in the book of John. We're, we're going to slow things down a bit, and, and we're going to look at these for the next four weeks uh, as, as we move forward in in the book of John. So John twenty. I hope you'll look with me in your Bibles. There we got Bibles on the underneath the chairs, uh, maybe on your phone, maybe you brought your Bible. We're going to look at. Uh, John 20, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, other gospel writers mention other women being along with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. The very fact that they're mentioning that there were women at the tomb, and that these were the first people to actually witness the resurrection is pretty stunning. That in that culture, uh, a woman was considered kind of a second-class citizen. In fact, could not even offer testimony in a court of law. This is a detail that actually authenticates the resurrection accounts, that this is not just something concocted by some writer trying to start a new religion, but actually is chronicling historical events as they are occurring. Again, they, they, other gospel writers mention uh, a group of women at the tomb, but all of them mention Mary Magdalene. And here, John, the gospel writer, only mentions Mary Magdalene. What you need to understand about the gospel writers is that they are reporting historical fact but they're reporting it in a way that points to theological truth. And so John really focuses in on Mary Magdalene, this single solitary person that he wants to reveal as the first eyewitness of the resurrection. So who is Mary Magdalene? Well, we know from Luke 8... Well, I'll just read it to you. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, 
and the twelve were with him, and also some women who'd been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. She was part of this group of women, of followers of Jesus that were traveling with him. The rest of that text actually says that they were helping to support the ministry with, with money. And what we find out in this little soundbite there is that she had had seven demons. And that Jesus had freed her from those seven demons. Now, the handful of people that I've worked with that have been oppressed by the demonic, uh, that is a hell on earth. Usually, the scenario plays out like this. The person comes in contact with the demonic, doesn't know that the demonic is going to be hurtful in their lives, sees them more as a spirit guide, welcomes them into their life, and they sort of get wisdom and help and affirmation, and the spirit guide kind of puffs them up in thinking about themselves more highly than they ought. And then at some point in the relationship, it turns, and the so-called spirit guide begins to try to encourage the person to be destructive, eventually telling them to kill themselves. This is, I've, I've talked multiple people that have experienced this kind of demonic oppression. And here she had been freed from that by Jesus. And when she had experienced that freeing from that, she decided to follow Jesus. She was free to follow at that point and was one of his most committed, devoted followers. So here she was, freed from demonic oppression, following him with all her heart, and then he dies, and she sees it. We know that from Matthew 27, verse 50 says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, and then a few verses later, it describes that there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene. She saw him die. Then she saw him buried. Also, Matthew 27, Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a linen shroud, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut out in rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. Not only had she seen him crucified, but she had seen him buried. Saturday rolls around and she observes the Sabbath. She stays put at home. I'm sure she was grieving. And Sunday, before the sun even comes up, she can't wait to get back to the tomb. Again, we know from other gospels that she's with a group of women. They're going there to finish the embalming because they were rushing to get this done. Before the Passover began, they hadn't quite done the job 100%, and so they wanted to go back and they wanted to finish the job. She gets there and the stone is rolled away. Good news, right? Resurrection! Cue the Easter music! Not exactly. She runs. Verse 2 of John 20, she ran. She went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, 
They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. She's panicking. I doubt many first century women were doing much running. A lot of walking, but not a lot of running. She's, she's panicking that her Lord has been stolen from the tomb. And so she runs to Simon Peter and the, quote, other disciple. She assumes that the body is stolen, as do the disciples. No one's thinking resurrection. Right? Even though Jesus told them that he was going to rise. Now, he told them some in metaphorical language and some in more direct language. Like metaphorical language, uh, we see in John 12, Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This image of a seed that Goes down in the ground, buried, dead. Oh, it's not dead. It comes up and there's a plant. And then sometimes in more direct language, like Luke 9, he strictly charges and commands them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. But they don't understand it. The disciples... Mary Magdalene, they don't understand it. So she runs, she gets Peter and the other disciple. They run to the tomb. Everyone's panicking. And we read in verse 3 of John 20, Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. We're getting a lot of eyewitness details to this moment. One is that the, quote, other disciple is a faster runner than Peter. Now, spoiler alert, the other disciple is John the gospel writer. And it's interesting that he would put his track and field prowess in the, in the text. I think it's awesome. But it, it, it shows us that he was there. He was there. He experienced this moment. He, he experienced the running and being out of breath and thinking, I'm way faster than Peter. He was there. He gives us other eyewitness uh, uh, details. And, and he throughout this uh, gospel has shown us that he has had eyewitness uh, access to Jesus. I mean, he says this in John 1, in the very opening chapter, the, the Word, talking about Jesus, be- became flesh. He dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the book First John that he also writes, he says this is an introduction That which from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, we've testified to it, and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. 
and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I think he saw it. You get the, get the feeling that he's seen it, he's heard it, he's, he's, he's using all this tactile language to let you know he's not just having some kind of a mystical experience. He was there. And this is one of the things that's unique to Christianity. Right? Other religions aren't really built on any kind of a historical event, right? They're not, not just sort of mystical visions and, and, and mystical experiences like Buddhism and Hinduism or, or mystical experiences about the past, right? Like Islam and Mormonism. No, Christianity is built on eyewitness accounts of actual historical events. And so there's more details here. There, there's details about this burial linen that's lying there on the ground and a face cloth neatly folded. It, it shows us that Jesus wasn't just snatched in the middle of the, of the night. We know from some of the, uh, the texts that will follow this that Jesus can move through matter pretty easily. He, he doesn't have the hard time with the grave cloths like, like Lazarus, right? Like, help, get me out of here. That, that, that's not what happens. Jesus uh, easily moves out of the grave cloths and then takes the time to neatly fold the face cloth in the tomb, proving that cleanliness is next <laughs> to godliness. Now, in my own imagination, I, I think about Jesus lying there in the tomb, his body cold and still, and then air coming into his lungs, him <gasps> drawing that first breath. He's at peace, he's not in pain, he's not tired. He, he's beat sin and death and hell. You could say he killed it. Right? He stands there at the inside of the tomb, at the stone, saying, Okay, Father, cue the angel. Right? <laughs> Knowing that on the other side are Roman soldiers that are about to need a change of underwear. <laughs> Matthew 28 lets us know this is pretty accurate. 28.2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it, and his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. He's alive. But his disciples, including Mary Magdalene, don't know it yet. They don't know he's alive. And so... Here's what happens in John 20, verse 8. Then the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. They still don't get it. The tomb is empty. This massive stone that was sealed and guarded has been rolled away, and there's no guard left. The burial linens are there in the tomb. The face cloth is neatly folded. It says they believed, but I don't think they believed he was resurrected. I think they just believed he wasn't there in the tomb and that indeed Mary Magdalene was telling the truth. John gives some explanation as to why they don't believe. He says, for they did not understand the scriptures. Don't you find that odd? They don't understand the scriptures, sacred writings inspired by God. 
What do, what do they need the Scriptures for? I mean, they've got a living, breathing Jesus walking around. It, the reason is, is because this is God's mode of revealing Himself. The primary mode is His Scriptures. And John is letting us know that this is how God reveals Himself to almost everybody. <laughs> the Scriptures, even the disciples. Even the disciples. Listen to the Apostle Paul talk about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he, buried, that he was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. He's acknowledging that they're seeing Jesus, right? That, that multiple people were able to attest to the resurrection, but he's weaving in there that all of this is according to the Scriptures. This is how he's revealing himself to you this morning, through the Scriptures. This is his primary means for how he reveals himself. So, the disciples have gone in, they've taken a look, they don't see Jesus, they're scratching their head, they don't think about resurrection, they, they, they don't know what to think. They leave, they walk out, they go back home, except Mary Magdalene is still there. And here's what she's doing, verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Mary's moved from panic to abject sorrow. She's weeping. And as she wept, it seems that John wants us to see that she's weeping. And she's not just sniffling with a little tear down the side of her face. She's convulsing with grief. Words cannot express the pain and the agony that she is feeling at this moment. It's been too much. This, this is the, the, the final straw, right? I mean, he, he was arrested, and, and, and then they tied him, and then they hit him, and then they mocked him, and then they spit at him, and then they dragged him around from one kangaroo court to another. They crowned him with thorns. They beat him with a cat of nine tails. They made him carry his cross. They drove a nail in his right hand. They drove a nail in his left hand. They drove a nail in his feet. And for six hours, he hung there, heaving, trying to get his breath, and now they steal his body. It's too much. And she loses it before that tomb. And then she realizes she's not alone. She's not alone in her weeping. She sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. Oh, to be an angel in this story, huh? I think the angels are pretty pumped on Easter morning. They've been forced to sit idly by, by while the God, God, the Son of God, the one they've worshipped and they've adored, and they've cried, holy, 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 has been ripped to shreds, not just by Roman torture techniques, but by sin and death and hell. And they've had to have their hands tied 
while they've watched that happen. And it's finally over. Those enemies have been defeated. Jesus is alive, and they know what's going on. And so they ask, why are you weeping? <laughs> now, you think about Mary. She's like, what do you mean, why am I weeping? This is the worst moment of my life. This is the before picture of the reveal. Then the moment comes. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. John's showing us a lot here, but you see this sort of progressive sight happening here. Where she first thinks it's the gardener. And then as she interacts with this gardener, Jesus makes the big reveal. He asks her the same question, why are you weeping? It must not be appropriate to weep on Easter morning. I, I, I'm sort of gathering that, right? The angels are saying, hey, why are you weeping? Right? And then Jesus is like, why are you weeping? It's not appropriate to weep on Easter morning, at least not because of sadness. And then as, as we see the, the before pick, we then see the big reveal. I mean, big reveal. And, and look how Jesus reveals himself to her. He reveals herself, himself to her by calling her name. Calls her name. Just like Jesus called Lazarus' name. To call him forth out of death and darkness. And now he calls Mary out of her darkness by calling her by name. And her weeping turns to joy, just like that. Jesus said this would happen. John 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He told him, this is going to happen. She calls him Rabboni. It's only used a couple times in the Bible. It means master teacher. Not just a normal teacher, but a master teacher. Teacher from God. It authenticates this account as well. Why would you call him that? Why, why, why would you stand before the resurrected Jesus and say, Master Teacher, right? Again, it lets us know. She, she's just doing that out of habit. Because this is not the name that would be appropriate for a resurrected Lord. Certainly not lofty enough. And Jesus, in, with a real gentle touch, he, he corrects her. <laughs> and he says this, verse 17, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. She turns to him, she calls him Rabboni, she, she evidently tries to cling to him. We know from another gospel that she indeed 
does, and he's like, hey, 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 don't cling, don't cling to me. And you think, well, that's weird. Is Jesus not, just not very huggy in his resurrected state? I mean, what, what's the deal? But then he says to her, I am ascending to my Father. I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. He goes from Rabboni to, I'm the second person of the Trinity, God the, the, the Son. And he had been preparing his disciples for that transition throughout the upper room discourse of chapters 14, 15, and 16, letting them know, I'm not going to be here in my physical form. Something better is going to happen when I ascend into heaven and I send my Holy Spirit to you. And so what will be the mode of operation once Jesus ascends into heaven and he's not walking around in physical form as a resurrected Lord? Well, the mode of operation is going to be verbal witness. It's going to be the Word. It's going to be Scripture. Even the disciples are going to encounter the news about the resurrection from a verbal witness, not by seeing and touching and hearing Jesus. They'll get to that, and we'll get to that text, but not the first time. They hear it just like you're hearing it right now, as a verbal witness from uh, an eyewitness account. And so this eyewitness is a very unlikely candidate, would you say? In that culture, the fact that she's a woman, but even more, she was a formerly demon-possessed woman. Not somebody we would probably choose as our number one candidate for delivering the message of the resurrection. But she'd watched him teach. She'd watched him die. She watched him be buried. And she saw him raised. And she says to us, I have seen the Lord. Will you believe her testimony this morning? Will you believe that she went from weeping to rejoicing when she saw the Lord? What she got in that moment, the reason that she shifted from weeping to rejoicing, is she got some resurrection-colored glasses. Not a lot changed in terms of her circumstances. The religious leaders still wanted to stamp out Christianity and were going to kill almost all the disciples in the next few months. But the resurrection changed everything. About 18 months ago, I finally got to the point where I could not see my notes on Sunday morning. It was a sad moment. It was a sad moment. So I had to get some glasses, right? And when I don't have these glasses, and this happens a few times when I, I'll, I'll get up here and I'll start trying to preach, and I go, whoa, I can't see my notes, and I have to get my, get my glasses. Right? And so what, what you have for Mary is, is that when, when she doesn't have the resurrection-colored glasses on, things are really blurry. In fact, she's looking at Jesus, she's going, you gardener? Right? But then once she gets those glasses on, everything changes. So my question to you, if you find yourself weeping this morning, is why are you weeping? Have, have you lost your, your resurrection-colored glasses? Or maybe you never had them before, and this morning you're going to get them for the first time. Because when you get them, everything changes, even though circumstances may stay pretty much the same. But the way you come to understand those circumstances is radically transformed through the resurrection. 
You may be weeping because of loss. Put on the resurrection-colored glasses. You may be weeping because of regret from your past. Put on the resurrection-colored glasses. You may be weeping because of addiction, of being enslaved to things you've been fighting over and over and over. Put on the resurrection-colored glasses. You may be struggling with hopelessness, despair. You you hardly even made it in this room this morning. Put on the resurrection-colored glasses glasses. But, but even, even more, you may be weeping because of sin's immediate effects, like, like the guilt that you feel because of sin, or the shame you feel because of, of your sin, or the sadness you feel because you can't get rid of the guilt and you can't get rid of the, the shame. I'm saying this morning, put on the resurrection-colored glasses. He's defeated those things. He's, he, he's defeated sin. The the way we know he defeated sin is that he's resurrected, which death is the result of sin. And so if he beat death, you you found the logic here? If he beat death, that means he beat sin. Put on the resurrection-colored glasses. If you come here this morning and and you're not a Christian, maybe a friend invited you uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to, to enter into uh, this big reveal. Because this big reveal of Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection can bring about a transformation in your own life. And right now, you may be residing in the before picture right now. And I don't know if you've noticed, in, in reality-type uh, uh, makeover shows where uh, you go from, from the before to the after, there's usually some sort of a catalyst that helps that happen. Right? There's a chip in Joanna that helps it move from the before to the after. There, there's a trainer on Big Fat Loser that helps a person move from before. or for a, the, the, the one that's going to help you move from the, the before pick to the after is Jesus. The one who's died, the one who was buried, the one who's resurrected. And so receiving him by faith this morning is how you get to the after picture, both in this life and the life to come. And he's, he's calling you by name. Do you notice that? He calls Mary by name. He, he, he's, he's not just kind of giving a blanket invitation here. I mean, I am because I, I, I don't know all your hearts. I don't know all your lives, but Jesus does. And so as you're hearing this preach, as you're singing these songs, and you, you hear his call to place faith in him this morning, Put your, put, your, put your faith in him. He's calling you by name. He loves you, and he's died in your place. And the proof, again, he's risen. He's risen. Oh, thank you. He is risen. As far as those of you that are, are Christ followers, I find that we oftentimes, we we sort of lose our resurrection-colored glasses. And we start doing life like like, like the resurrection didn't happen. And we we start wallowing in our regret, our hopelessness, or our guilt, or our shame. and, And we've forgotten, we've forgotten the truth of the resurrection. And so my hope for you this morning is that you put those back on. And even though circumstances around you may be pretty much similar then when you had them off, now they, they take on a whole different light in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
as I've been reading through the book of John and uh, just reflecting on it, some of its themes, uh, I, I don't know, I started playing around with my guitar. I started writing a little song. It's a real simple song. I'm going to share this song with you. And as a way for us to worship, right, I think this, this, is, this is the rea- response to the resurrected Savior, is, is to worship Him. And so we're going to sing this song together. Cindy's going to help me. And we'll see how we, we pull this off. Jesus, Lord of my life, I needed you to enter in my strife, became flesh even though you made me, then you died so that I could be set free. sing that with me. Jesus, Lord of my life, I needed you to enter in my strife. Became flesh even though you made me. Then you died so that I could be set free. Yeah. I will worship you, my Lord. I will worship you, my Christ. I will worship you, my light, my life. I will worship you, my God. Sing that part again. I will worship you, my Lord. I will worship you, my Christ. I will worship you, my light, my life. I will worship you, my God. Jesus, Lord of my life, I needed you to enter in my strife. Became flesh, even though you made me. Then you died so that I could be made free. Christ, 
We will worship you, our light, our life. We will worship you, our God. Sing that again. We will worship you, our Lord. We will worship you, our Christ. We will worship you, our light, our life. We will worship you, our God. We will worship you, our God. Well, we come to you this morning just worshiping you as the one who's worthy of worship. There's no other that's worthy of worship. And you've proven that in the resurrection. Lord, thank you that by your death, uh, our, our sins are forgiven. Lord, you, this, this world that is in turmoil will, will one day be fully healed, restored, reconciled. And it's because of the cross and because of the victory that you have over sin and death and hell. Lord, give us grace to receive that this morning and to live in that every day. We love you, we worship you, we continue to sing these songs to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.